1: I am your host, Erica Lance, my co-host today, back for, how I don't even know how long it's been. She, she's been on the show. We'll see if she gets ejected from it again. Um, <laughs> she was putting an epic time out for inappropriate podcast behavior. Is that
0: why I haven't been on here? I didn't no, know. No, I'm just kidding. have
1: been busy. <laughs> Valerie Willis. And our guest today is Greg Shigel. Woo! Okay.
2: Hello. Thank oh. you for having me.
1: No, thank you for coming. Let's get all of this stuff out of the way. So first... Don't forget, you guys are listening right now, so hit like or subscribe, please. We need that. That tells people that you like us. You can leave a review, too. We'd prefer the more drunk you get, the better the review is, so please go for it, but either way, we'll take it. Our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Their coupon code is DWA10. Please check them out. They're veteran, family-owned. They're amazing, and their stuff is awesome, and... um. If you want to, you can always email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to be on the show or if there's an author you'd like us to stalk. So let's talk about what we're drinking. So I am drinking Pacific Rim, which is my... 70% organic white Riesling donut. I love that it says this on the fucking price tag that it's 70% organic, Um, but it has a dragon on it. So it's Pacific Rim sweet Riesling. And it's actually in Washington, which is the same state as Skunk Brothers. They don't make this wine. Don't look for it there. Okay,
0: Val, what are you drinking? Um, It's a margarita wine cocktail, strawberry by Rancho La Gloria. It's whatever I found. It's 13%, 13 13.9% alcohol.
1: Oh, we're screwed. And
0: I'm drinking it in in a giant mug that says, why am I out of bed?
1: (laughs) And we're wondering why she was off the podcast. Greg, what are you drinking?
2: I am. I am a teetotaler, but I am drinking something in honor of the spirit, a a Cuban soft drink called iron beer, uh, which in Cuba would be pronounced iron beer. Uh, And it's, it is a carbonated sweet beverage that I've been trying to figure out how to describe the flavor of it. And I don't know that I can. It's sort of like cream soda and Dr. Pepper and something fruity, Uh, but it's quite good. But it's, you know, I've had other people have tasted it and not liked it. I'm a fan.
1: Okay. I like it. It's different. It's not something we have. So for people who don't know you, Greg can you talk a little bit about what you write?
2: Yes, I am a author illustrator, or in shorthand, a cartoonist. Mm -hmm. So I write and draw uh, graphic novels and more recently, uh, graphic novel chapter book hybrids. So it's books that have text with illustration and then comic sections within that book.
1: Very, very cool. So we haven't had a lot of graphic artists and stuff like that on the show. So this is really neat. So what is um where did you okay let's oh, 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 oh. <laughs> she's, she's fine. gonna find where she's
0: she she's got so many questions.
1: They're all I I do. At
0: the same time. I do.
1: I had so many. So let's go back to the beginning of when you decided you wanted to be a cartoonist author.
2: Yes. So that goes back um I think fourth grade is where i where I made that decision. So early on, um, I liked comics, I liked cartoons, I like comic strips, and I genuinely remember and I could be creating memories, but I have a memory of in fourth grade, looking at the three options, animation, comic strips and comic books, and deciding that animation was too much of drawing the same thing over and over again, to create, you know, every image in a, in a sequence and comic strips, there wasn't enough room in four panels to tell bigger stories. So comic books was where my, all my energies went to.
1: So I thought that you were in fourth grade and had this realization. That's yeah. the best part of everything you just said because I'm trying to, how old was fourth grade? How old is like fourth ten. grade? Yeah, like 10. ten. Yeah, Eight, about ten. 10. Oh, I still wanted to be an actor when I was in fourth grade. I, I rode BMX sport bikes did skateboarding and wanted to do acting. That's where that's where I was at ten. Now, where were you at at ten? Um, what was I? I uh, no. Let's
2: see.
0: I I was writing stories and composition books, like filling the whole composition books and doodling maps and things. I still have one copy of one that I did. Uh, on, but now it's in
1: storage right now. Okay, you guys were way better off than I was. Okay. Well the, the joke the
2: joke I make at certain school visits is uh I normally don't take advice from fourth graders. And in hindsight, maybe you know that was a that was a young person to be taking life advice from, but I went with it.
1: I think hey, I think hey. it's great because I think when we're younger. I mean, there, there is learning and deciding what you want to be when you grow up and you can change that many, many times. I'm a firm believer. You can keep deciding what you want to be when you grow up over and over again. But I think some of our more creative passion things happen when we're younger. And then we get told that that's not a real thing and that you have to get a real job. And a lot of times it is a real thing. You just have to show your kids what surviving on that kind of job looks like not that you can't do it but if you want a gigantic mansion maybe being a comic book artist is not going to be that thing
2: it's a different it is a different kind of job it's closer to being an actor or a musician or a comedian or or something than uh doctor or lawyer or business executive to quote that song
1: yeah but if you have a lot of fun doing it that's what's going to make life fun for you not I have this horrible job so I can afford to buy these things that I don't get to spend any time doing because I have a horrible job. Like it's that vicious circle. So let's talk about the first thing that you like published. What was the first thing you published?
2: So early on, well, the first thing I did professionally was I I drew some comics for Marvel Comics in the late 90s. Ooh, what did you draw? uh, There was a series called What If, which now is a TV show. Oh, Um, yeah. But I did I drew three issues of What If near the end of its run. Uh, interesting enough issues that now have much more global uh, knowledge so the first issue I ever drew was what if the impossible man who's a fantastic four villain uh, had acquired the infinity gauntlet which is now a star of major motion pictures so it was a riff on the (laughs) infinity gauntlet storyline the second one was what if Tony Stark was the master of the mystic arts oh yeah yeah and then the last one was a, it was actually the last issue of the series was uh, extrapolating on the story, the Secret Wars story from 1985. Uh, and it was, what if all the heroes were stuck on that planet where they were fighting the secret wars? Uh, and those are fun. I mean, I got to draw all the Marvel heroes. Um, and then I worked at Marvel Comics for two and a half years. I was a, an assistant editor there. Uh, so I I was on the other side of the, of the table. Um, yeah. And then in 2014, I self-published my first graphic novel, which is back on the shelf there, that blue cover, although the original one wasn't that blue cover. And that was uh, part of a series called Pix, which was a graphic novel series about a teenage superhero who believes that she's a fairy princess. Um, and people have trouble believing whether she's telling the truth or not. They, they know she has power. She flies around. She, she obviously has. But when she starts talking fairy princess stuff, people think she's gone a bridge too far.
1: Interesting. I love it. I love it. What made you decide to self publish versus because you were kind of in the realm, the yeah, comic yeah. book realm? You were there, you'd done some writing. A lot of people would be like, I have made it, you know. But right. what made you decide to go well, the other round?
2: So, the stuff I had done at Marvel freelance was drawing. I hadn't written anything um, outside of as an assistant editor, I would answer the letters in the back of the comics. So, we do the letters pages and you'd. Oh. Write Fun responses to those. Um, but I, growing up reading comics, I loved Marvel and DC comics, but I also, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a bigger boom of independent creators making their own thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I sort of saw that that was the path. Like back in that time, it has changed significantly in, in 25 years. But at that time, you got your start with a major publisher doing fill-in work and finding your path, and then you went off on your own and did something. So like Mike Mignola was doing stuff at Marvel and D.C., and then he went off and did Hellboy. Uh, The creators at Image Comics had done stuff at Marvel and D.C. and went and formed Image Comics. Um, And then also folks like Jeff Smith and Terry Moore uh, and Linda Medley were doing their self-published books and getting their own traction. And the appeal there was you owned your material, as opposed to anything you created for Marvel or D.C. belonged to them forever and they make all the money, and you watch the movies get made. Uh, so it was always this idea of, of having seen other people, you know, people ahead of me, you know, generations ahead of me, do this thing where they earn their their stripes and then go off on their own. Um, that was always this idea in my head of self-publishing is the ultimate goal, and the goal beyond that would have been so successful self-publishing that I could publish other people's work. But you know, best laid plans. But it was always it was always the idea to to chart my own course. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, so there was also that spirit of make your own thing, own your own thing, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's and outside of that. So I was I left Marvel in two thousand, and in ninety nine I was very keen on doing kids comics for kids and doing original graphic novel material. And at that time, Marvel wasn't doing that; just wow. wasn't a thing they were interested in, uh, and I could see the the beginnings of the book market and comics growing there. So, and I'd seen some people pull it off. Jimmy Gownley with Amelia rules had gotten a a good deal of success in the early, I guess, yeah, early to mid two thousands. Mark Crilly with a series called Akiko. So these things were starting. They weren't nearly what they are now, Um, but they were starting. And I thought, well, I want to do this kind of work and that's not happening at the, major comic book superhero publishers so i left marvel in 2000 to go work at nickelodeon in their licensing department Mm -hmm. uh and that sort of took me a little off course and i did a lot of license publishing work drawing spongebob squarepants and uh invader zim and all kinds of other jimmy neutron uh and that taught me a lot about just how the rest of another area of publishing license publishing and i earned more money doing that than i did making comics. So once I stored up, you know, saved up enough money, uh, I thought, all right, I'm going to take this money and self-publish. And I wanted to do it before I turned 40. So was, those were the goals. And I did the first one. Uh, yeah. Before I turned 40. That's very
1: amazing. cool. <laughs> and so how many have you done now?
2: Uh, of the graphic novels, I did two. So I did the first one on my own. Then the second one, uh, Image Comics picked me up and did a read, a reprinting of the first book and published the second book. Um, And then unfortunately sales were not robust enough to merit them going in on a third book, which I have a first draft written. It just sits on, sits on my coffee table uh, waiting for me to, to write and draw it or finish it. Um, So I've done the two graphic novels. And then more recently I do these chapter books, which are way back there. And those are the hybrid graphic novel chapter book uh, format.
1: And, so what is the what is that series
2: called? That series is called Superhero Universe. Z o o p e r. So it's uh it's animal it's anthropomorphic animal superheroes, uh, intended for kids say like seven to ten, um, and it's all it's going back to the fourth grader who loved all this stuff. It is it is basically me writing. Uh, as though I were still in fourth grade playing with my toys, where I was just making up superheroes and making up adventures, and they're all really kind of based on the superheroes and the tropes we all know, but they're a little you know different enough that I'm not completely stealing existing i p of course. <laughs> um, but it's somewhere between I guess it's sort of it probably by some definition would would fall under fanfic, except it's not um it's it's but it's sort of an homage to the superhero stuff I loved as a kid, be it the super friends cartoons or the comics I was reading or you know and and I love anthropomorphic animals so Disney's Robin Hood and that sort of thing. So it's all that stuff sort of mishmashed into one and just really hopefully fun, engaging superhero stories that kids will get into. And and the the hybrid format is you read the chapter book, there's illustrated text and then when the action starts, it becomes a comic for those pages. And then once the action quiets down, it goes back to being a quote-unquote real book.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, um, because I have a fifth grader. Oh, no, a sixth grader. Oh, my God. I'm feeling old. I have little ones in elementary school. <laughs> I have grandkids. I'm going to punch you in the face. Continue on.
2: Well, the other day yeah. I was explaining to somebody what the yellow pages were, so.
0: Oh no.
1: Oh I remember when somebody dropped one of those off. It was like a little local one, and one of my kids found it the a teenager and they were like, What is this? And I'm like, this is before the internet, my friend.
2: Yeah. And the white pages really freaked them out. Like everybody's phone numbers were just in a book. I'm like, yep, it was all there.
0: Yeah. And addresses.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were saying you have no, a grade. <laughs>
0: I have a hard time getting him to read like a chapter book so the idea that now I know that there's like a bridge between the two right and that's something I think librarians and schools teachers can can really appreciate is that there are more materials where they can give them graphic novels to get them in the habit of wanting to engage in a book and engage in and reading but the idea that you've giving them a bridge between the two realms, right? Because right now their options are graphic novel or a chapter book with a picture here and there. And instead you've incorporated it as part of telling the story, no different from the comic expectation, but with all the benefits of a a short novel uh, essentially. Yeah. Uh, So I, I think that's a great, it's great that you're providing content like this um, have you had the chance to really reach out to your local libraries and schools? I know the pandemic has made like a lot of stuff difficult for everyone. Um, yeah. Pandemic has been know. tough.
2: Um, so I've, I'm recently moved. I lived in New York for 23 years and now I'm in the Atlanta area. So I moved mid pandemic. So now I'm, I'm finally sort of coming out of the pandemic and I've started reaching out to schools and contacts that I have. Um, I met you all at ALA. So I, I went to ALA to show stuff and and which is tough because in ALA they put the graphic novelist so far in the back of the oh yeah giant convention center that like thank you for getting out there and, and handing your card out because we're 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 alone we're alone out there. Um but yeah I'm I'm making I'm I'm working on making those inroads and and sort of trumpeting this format, which I'm I'm very committed to, uh for better or worse. I wrote a book in twenty. 20- 18? I wrote a manuscript for a, a hybrid novel and got an agent with it and was shopping it around and just, it didn't, it didn't go. And th- that was also anthropomorphic, but it was animals pro wrestling. Um, and I was very excited about it. And it just didn't. And then the pandemic hit and yeah, things things imploded.
0: I, I think a lot of companies imploded, conventions imploded, everything yeah. imploded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true no one no one got out of that without implosions yeah. included so but
2: we're all climbing our way out
0: no definitely um i know if you're in atlanta uh, a recommendation is there's a kids track for the dragon con you totally should uh get into that take note i sir. i I, take note.
2: I was too late to apply for dragon con this past year um but it's on my radar for next year and then this coming weekend i don't I. I don't know when this will be released, but this coming weekend is the Decatur Book Festival. So I'm going to go there and sort of just see what's happening. Um,
0: There you go. Yeah. And I'm always telling people that my as as someone who writes as well. I'm like, I write I write straight to my audience. But when it comes to kids books, uh, you have to write to the parents, the librarians, and then hope that it still gets to your audience that you intend it to. What things are you implying or doing to kind of convey or make sure that you're meeting those requirements?
2: The requirements of of like appealing to a parent and or a librarian. Yeah. So on the librarian track, I think the format is the most compelling thing. So this this idea that this book carries both comics and text. Um, So I try and make that clear. On that end, and for a parent, what I try to explain is that um, that these, if if a kid likes superheroes, basically, if your if your kid likes these Marvel movies or these these cartoons, these books are for them, and it's reading. So it's it is a it's like a direct line. You know, when I was a kid, I loved superhero cartoons, and that led me to comics, and I think that's the case for a lot of kids that. up in the 1980s you'd either watch the gi joe cartoon and that would lead you to the gi joe comics or super friends or spider-man is amazing friends and you wanted more of it and you got more of it in comics it's a little different now because there's so much media with superheroes in it um so you don't have to go to comics but i i know enough parents that sort of think all my kid does is watch this stuff so i try to appeal to the well this is like that but it is reading and it's different and it's not you know mega marvel thing but it's still kind of in that spirit um i think it's more kid friendly because it's not as as it's not trying so hard to appeal to an adult audience the way uh the movies and tv shows do
1: yeah no that makes sense so what oh my god what was my question when you started getting into chapter books like the writing of that being different like where how was that sort of the transition from even a graphic novel? Because a graphic novel is kind of like a comic book in a way, yes. right? Doesn't have quite the um written content that a chapter book. So what was that like?
2: So with the the graphic novel I did, I, I consider them middle grade graphic novels. So I think of them as being like fourth grade to ninth grade thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, So for the chapter books, I mean, I read a lot of chapter books before I started. So I did a lot of the the research of reading other people's chapter books. And I got a sense of the structure of them, the the sentence structure was really the thing. So I, I, I work with an editor and I basically asked her, I'm like, all right, the thing I really want you to keep an eye on is if any of my sentences get too long, if I'm using too many compound sentences, if I'm using too many like prepositions and, and making the thoughts and the ideas too too complicated. And I uh-huh. check it myself, like when I do a, re, a reread, if I see a sentence that is, maybe has a couple of commas in there, I'm like, all right, let's turn this into smaller sentences. So it's more, you know, the, the ideas and stuff aren't, there's no talking down, but it's writing it. So it's it's maybe a little easier to read. Um, there have been some cases where I have a joke that I'm not sure if the joke would fly. Um, in one of the books, I make a reference to a MacGuffin. And there was some some thinking of like, do I put this word in there? And then through conversation with friends, you're like, Well, you can teach a kid what a MacGuffin is. And I said, perfect. So it's in there.
0: Um, it, it's like the red herring and the scrappy-doo or the the young Scooby-Doos. There was he's like, I know who it is. It was red herring. And and it's the teaching them it's it's a misleader.
2: Yeah. So so. You know, it's the sort of thing where, like, if I know I'm going to use a concept that's maybe a grown-up concept, I try and figure out a way to make it palatable or digestible or understandable to uh, basically my nephew,
0: mm-hmm. who,
2: when I started writing these, was eight. So that's sort of who you keep in mind is, will this kid get it? Kind of a thing.
1: Well, and th- I think that's neat, I- and I love that you said you have an editor. That's always. <laughs> as as people in publishing we always go you have an editor that's fantastic and she's and
2: she and she does me a great service because she charges me so little and it's um i i want these books to make more money just so i can give her more money because uh it's so helpful to have somebody else look at a thing and read it
1: so are they they're all self-published how did you go about doing that
2: so these books i do through amazon uh kdp uh kindle direct publishing or yeah um which from having heard past episodes i know you guys know what it is but if the listeners don't it's amazon's self publishing uh platform print on demand mm-hmm. um i'd spoken to another creator who does very well on there and we we did like a 1 hour zoom session last year where he told me almost everything he does i don't know his keywords i don't know some of his other whatever he's doing but he basically said like this is what i do and this is how i do it uh, and i've tried to replicate that step by step, but I've not achieved his uh, rankings as yet. Uh, but it's also our content is different. So he's he does stuff that's closer to Wimpy Kid sort of format of, of you know, lead kid being jokey kind yeah. of a thing. And I, I'm going a, a little different direction. Um, adventure stories. So it's more a case of trying to find the audience but i use amazon kdp and so far i i enjoy the process of it i mean the overhead can't be beat um having self-published before and printed up 1500 copies of a book and had those in an apartment in new york this is way easier than that
0: oh sir (laughs) yeah no
1: no. print on demand sir Good sir, on demand
2: it's great um and i and they're black and white books so so that they're easy to produce you know the my original plan was to produce a book every two months. Um, things have thrown that off. And then I have to do freelance work to earn my living. So the gaps between books is a little longer, but I've put out four so far in the past year. And I have two more. Uh, one is in the outline stage and the other one, I, I know which characters I want to use. Yeah. So I have, there's a plan in place. And now I just need the, the world to catch up with them. So... Um, um, you know, it's constantly hustling for reviews and hustling for copies to sell. And you know, I tried, I, I did a, a month of Amazon ads, which hit and miss. Uh, and just, it's it's a real experiment. You keep trying a new thing every now and again and seeing how it moves the needle. If it moves the needle. Uh, yep. I recently achieved 25 reviews on the first book in the series.
1: Nice, Thank you. Uh,
2: I don't know if it's done anything yet, but I hit that 25 mark, which I was told was the threshold. Okay.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, it's definitely, it's one of the thresholds. That's the thing. There's all these different thresholds, all these different metrics and stuff, but we have to take a quick break and we will be right back with Drinking with Authors it's time for a promo for the epsilon 3 podcast
0: the epsilon 3 what do we talk about
2: it's a babylon 5 rewatch podcast
0: babylon 5 what's that
2: it's the greatest 1990s sci-fi show in history how are we going to watch it with glee and excitement how would we rate those kind of episodes out of jump
0: gates how many jump gates out of five jump gates because it's babylon 5 that is correct if you go to zahadum you will die But you know what you won't do? You won't die listening to the
1: Epsilon 3 Podcast, right here on the ESO Network. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Gunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington based team using their grandfather's prohibition era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook, at Skunk Brothers, and on Twitter, at SkunkRose, Inc. Or visit their site, www.skunkbrothersspirits.com, and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Okay, we're back. We're talking about self-publishing. Let's talk about um, reviews. So you, how has the review, do you read your reviews?
2: Um, I do read my reviews. Um, How's that gone for you? Uh, so with, with, with the superhero books, the reviews have been great. So I'm very happy with those. Um, I've definitely had situations in the past where I read a review that I, uh, very much disagree with and you just have to take it. What's the expression? If you read the good reviews, you have to read the bad reviews. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So you read them all and, um, you, you sit with them. I, 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 I don't check Goodreads very much. That's the one I, I tend to avoid. Um, just because there are some reviews where you go, why, why did you even do do that? Like, there's a review from so there, there's like a review that says like, well, this book isn't for me. I'm I'm in my 60s, but and it's like, <laughs> then why are you reviewing it if you know it's not like? Don't ruin my my average rating.
0: It, it, if it makes you feel any better, I I have a, a erotica pid named Honey Cummings, and I have one where someone complained about the erotica being about the other smutty woman in a romance, and I'm like, well yeah, like that that's the whole point of this whole genre. Um, yeah. You know, there's always that person that no matter how hard we try to label and make sure that the flags are there that this is the audience for this book, they'll still stumble in and they still feel the need to to leave the review. I also tell people that you kind of have to to take it, they're not necessarily a reflection for you. Like if you were a reader and you're like, hey, I like really smutty books and that's their complaint, you're gonna buy the book based off of what that one star said, because yes, that's the book I'm looking for. Um, but every once in a while, you know, you get you get that one review and it complains about something you did intentionally. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. You did a great job to the point that someone felt passionate and noticed something you put in. Uh, yeah. So I yeah, try yeah. to talk to, to my authors all the time. I'm like, baby, it's OK. It's just one. You still have a four point eight star review rate going. You are yeah.
2: fine. Yeah. The, the only t- there were two reviews that I had. A, a real reaction to. One was on my graphic novel, somebody left a one-star review, and their problem was that it was self-published. Like, that was their issue. It was like, this book is self-published. It says this, but that's just the name he uses for self-publishing. I was like, all right, well, that's not anything. Well,
1: welcome to being a troll. Nobody's going to care. Yeah.
2: Yep. So for that, in my newsletter, I asked my, my newsletter people, like, listen, nobody respond to this review, but if you can leave reviews to get the numbers back up and it worked like, you know, 15 or so people went in and just clicked five stars and it, it it got the average back to something above.
0: You always remind them to leave a review every so often. Yeah. And it's so sweet because my newsletter, people will reply to those reminders. I'm so sorry. I forgot to do this last time.
2: Yeah. They're really no, it's, it's it's a, it's, it's one of the headers in the newsletter is like, remember folks, and there's a link there and it's, it's a constant, you get tired of doing it because you feel like, how many times do you have to ask these people? But you, you just keep doing it because it's it's a copy paste. You just keep that, you keep ringing that bell. Um, the other review was somebody had reviewed my first graphic novel when it was self-published very positively and said, like, it's going to Image Comics. I can't see it. Wait to see what happens next. And I actually sent that person an advanced copy of the second book. And then their review for that one was two stars and nothing. No No words about why. It was just like a two, and I was like, what happened? I don't know. I thought the second book was even better. I, and it's just baffling, and you just have to let it go because there's nothing you can do.
1: No, you re- really need to let it go. And yeah. the thing is that reviews are actually not for authors. The They're right, not.
2: It's, yep. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing that the reviews... And those algorithms are all you know and, and social media all that stuff sort of feeds into instead of just being able to write and draw and create a thing and let marketing people handle it, yeah, that's not how it is anymore. so no. we're, we're, you know as as somebody that doesn't particularly love being the product, like you want the book to be the product it's it's still a constant readjustment and relearning and go, okay, I'll put on a necktie. <laughs>
0: Let's go, let's go out I'm in public this and do these things. yeah
1: <laughs> excuse me let's talk about conventions yes we met you at a convention so what conventions have you been doing
2: um i used to do a lot more comic book conventions um in the in the early 2000s um i used to do a comic con in san diego uh heroes con in charlotte and then as i kept doing more and more kids stuff as opposed to the mainstream Marvel DC stuff, I could sense a a shift in the interest level of people attending your bigger Comic-Cons versus what I was trying to do, which is sell books to younger readers. So I was making the shift towards book festivals and school and library visits. And I was starting to get ahead of steam 2017, 2018, 2019. And then all the steam went out of the engine and now I've moved. So now I'm trying to get that sort of momentum back uh some of my favorite shows i did were um the princeton children's book festival was incredible uh i don't know if you guys have heard of that one Uh but it's it's anytime i've done an event that's run by a library that partners with an independent bookstore those are the best
0: Mm -hmm. because
2: you just get to show up you get to show up as an author they've ordered the books the books are there waiting for you um the the event is free for people to attend it's run by the library. It's all super efficient. And you just meet people who want to read and buy stuff for their kids. And at the Princeton Book Festival, I had the two PIX books out. And I think Princeton is a a pretty well-off area as well. So that helped. But people weren't asking how much the book was. Like, oh, it's a graphic novel. We'll take both. And it was the easiest day of selling books I've ever had. Um, And there were some others in, in sort of the New York area. Chappaqua did one. Uh, And Any of those, anytime a library partnered with a bookstore, just the energy and the spirit of it was so lovely. Um, Similarly, visiting schools, there's something, I I really enjoy that. I enjoy engaging with the kids. I do a presentation. Um, There's some like, there's there's some back and forth with the kids where I take suggestions and do like some drawing for them. Uh, And that's fun. And that gets kids engaged. Sometimes they buy books, sometimes they don't, but it's that outreach that I prefer doing that now than sitting at a table at a comic con and waiting for people to deem what's on my table worth worth their time. Which it sounds like I'm I'm shitting on comic fans, and some of them I might be, uh, <laughs> but I've I've definitely been at conventions where I'm next to somebody doing quote unquote grown up content, and you would think you know, and I'm in there with like SpongeBob comics. So I worked on SpongeBob comics for a bunch of years, and just nobody regards those as anything of I shouldn't say nobody comic book fans traditional comic book fans do not regard those as a thing worth their time whereas yeah. people that love Spongebob which there are more of those um and they they go nuts so it's it's really at a certain point I realize oh I have to find the people that want what I'm doing uh and and not I, I don't need the cachet of I've drawn. I've drawn. I could draw Batman right now. Like I don't need to draw it for Batman. It's like that. That I. I'd rather be doing the stuff I'm doing. I just need to find the people who get what I'm doing, and and that's going to be schools and book fairs and festivals and that sort of thing. A L A, assuming we they place us in a more uh, uh, visible spot on the show floor. so yes, but I do I do like at conventions, my favorite thing about conventions is the camaraderie after like just the hanging out with people and your peers and talking shop and craft and making comics because the people that make comics don't really draw those distinctions. They recognize yeah. storytelling is storytelling and whether yeah. it's a cartoon drawing or a realistic drawing, the work is how you lay out a page and how you compose your panels and where you put your word balloons and all that stuff. And I could talk about that stuff a lot.
1: Have you done a lot of panels? Have you done that aspect of it of actually getting on panels or doing talking and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, um I did I did my own podcast from 2011 to 2014, a comics podcast called Stuff Said, uh where I talked to people in comics from creators to convention organizers to retailers uh and I wanted to parlay that into doing more panels. Uh when I would do conventions, I would su- I would submit panel ideas uh, a lot of them were game shows. I like hosting game shows, so I'd get comic creators up and we'd play comics-related games um, or a version of the match game with comics-related stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do like being on panels. I like being—I would try and get on kids' comics panels and talk about that. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do enjoy panels. I like moderating them or I like being on them. Uh, it's it's one of the one places where I, that and and school talks where public speaking doesn't doesn't throw me but oh
1: wow Did yeah you, does public speaking generally throw you
2: um i don't pu- public performance like i've never done karaoke i've no it just feels it ch- chills me the chills me to the bone and like <laughs> i love stand-up comedy and i love watching good sketch and improv comedy but the idea of doing those things is uh no
0: a lot of pressure trying to make a whole room of people laugh it's very difficult i, I don't
2: but i mean <laughs> when i when i host a panel I, I get laughs. I'm, you know, I'm hosting a game show. It's, it's, it's not so different, but I think there's something there's a, with standup, especially there's a, there's no wall between there's not even a character that, you know, like with the books I'm writing characters. So I'm telling stories. These are real things, real feelings, but they're yeah. all through these characters, right? Like it's not yeah, auto bio. It's, it's not it's
0: any of that about.
2: Yeah. There's like, there's so much sincerity in it that it's, it's hard to, to do, I think.
1: So one question I have, you write to a younger audience. What has the feedback from the younger audience been like? Have they come up to any of your tables and gone, Oh my God, I love this book. and lost my favorite character or anything like that. So
2: I recently, one of the reviews that popped up on Amazon uh, was such a great review and it was a name I didn't recognize. So I just, screen capped the review and I posted it to social media. Like anybody want to try and beat this review, please do. Cause like this view review, like made my day. And it turns out somebody I knew wrote that review, didn't realize it, but they said, Oh, that was, you know, my daughter said that quote that's in the review. Aww. So that was very exciting. Then I wrote him separately. And I was like, can you ask her these questions about, cause I was working <laughs> on my school presentation and I wanted to know, like, would this spoil the book for a kid who hadn't read it? And in response to those questions, he sent me a video of this little girl talking about the books. And I've watched it like six times because <laughs> it's, it's five minutes of her holding the books, going to the back cover, pointing out characters that she doesn't read. Like, when is this character showing up? When is this character coming back? And that is the greatest. Like, I just need. I mean, this is going to be a big ask. Ten thousand of them. and I'm good. I'll, <laughs> I'll leave everybody alone. If, if I 10 no. ten thousand of those kids buying four books a year you'll never hear from me again it'll be great um but yeah no. that stuff is is truly like that's the most thrilling when a kid um with the first graphic novels when i self-published somebody tweeted at me a photo of their daughter dressed as a character for like character day at school mm-hmm. and you can't beat it i mean that's oh. the best
0: uh I have a friend who's also a children's book author and my little one is all about the grumbler and stuff so i heard she was going to be at a a, silva learning center for kids so we showed up unannounced and she goes oh my god i didn't expect to see like someone i knew here and he went around and picked up one copy of each of her books and then took the pile sat next to her and he put his little hands on there and looked at her and he goes, "Um, I'm going to read and review these right now for you. <laughs> and just started. And to this day, that was like two years ago. She's like, I still like that memory. And the same thing. There's something about connecting with your audience. And I can't, kids are so open. They're open books. So it's not like you fear them filtering their answer response not like i get reviews from other people and adults a kid when they they give you their feedback you know that that is as honest as that feedback will ever get
2: and it's absolutely pure i mean to go to go to a previous question about conventions and the previous question about appealing to parents i've definitely been at conventions with my fellow kids comic creators and the kid is clearly locked into something on on any of our tables and the parent is not paying enough attention and the kid is holding the book and looking through it it's like all right this kid wants this book without even asking for it. And, the, and the parent typically says hey bud come look at this spider-man hey bud and it's it's this thing of like you want your kid to like the thing you like and mm-hmm. i get it but kids gonna find their thing like it's just gonna happen
1: that um, is kind of epic though you've had people cosplay as the characters
2: it's I was at New York Comic Con one year, and I didn't. An, I did an issue of What If that had some new characters in it, and I saw a woman walk by in a costume that I had designed, and it oh. was like seeing a famous person. Like, <laughs> I just saw this costume walk by, and I was like, "What in the?" And I and I chased her down a
1: bit you much, have but to I I, that point.
2: I ran after her. I'm like, "Excuse me, excuse me." She turns around, and I go, "I I designed what you're wearing." It was, it was. We took pictures. It was very exciting, but to see this thing walk across the in real life. Um, it was great. And then, yeah, if a kid is dressed up, it's, and it was like a makeshift, you know, these are characters, there's no costume you can buy. So it was purple outfit with like fairy wings and little white gloves. It was adorable. Absolutely. hundred percent adorable. So yeah, it's, it's fun.
1: That's very cool. What about, um, oh my gosh, I almost just lost it. Oh. Um, you almost pulled a bell. You're not helping you're the opposite of help. If that's what you're doing. Where do you come up with the characters? What made you come up with these characters for this?
2: Um, so with Superhero Universe, that came out of, I again, I've always loved anthropomorphic stuff. As a kid, there was an issue of a comic called Captain Carrot and His Amazing Zoo Crew, which was a DC property of animal superheroes. And I, I can remember buying this comic from a newsstand when I was seven or eight years old on our way to my grandparents' house. And it had these characters meeting a group called the just a lot of animals, which were animal versions of the justice league, super squirrel, bat, mouse. There was a flash. That was a a turtle, a rabbit. That was wonder woman. And I just, as a little kid, I was just a lot. I mean, this was like Mickey mouse and Donald duck meeting superheroes and just all being mashed together. And it was, it was everything. Um, So I think that imprinted very early that idea of animal superheroes. And I've always liked that idea. Um, So I think it was probably four years ago or so. I just, started a sketchbook of designing animal superheroes. I had this idea for a series of animal superhero books. They weren't these chapter books that I've made now. The, the format was a little different, but I had this notion of animal superheroes for kids. This is the way to go. And I just started designing characters. I started saying, all right, what would my version of Superman be? What would my version of Captain America be? And I found the animals and I came up with a lot of names that I liked. Some of them are punny, some of them aren't. Um, and in the pandemic, my sort of test runs for KDP was coloring books. So the first coloring book I did was called Unique Corns, which was a series of non-horse unicorns. Uh and I gave those clever names and wrote little descriptions of what each Unique Corn's deal was and like what their magic was or whatever. And then the next one was well I've created now 28 animal superheroes and supervillains. So I put those together as a as a coloring book and I put that out first. Um, maybe March of 2021, something like that. Uh, and, then, and then the idea started to bubble up of like, okay, what, what can I, now that I have these characters, now that they exist, what can I do? And in the format of the hybrid, which I liked, and then the chapter, like it all sort of came together. was like, all right, this, I can do this on my own and and make a run with it. So uh, the characters all came from you know existing archetypes. So, a speedster, an aquatic hero, a warrior woman, um a, a vigilante, a knight you know all those uh, a strategist, an armored character, like once you know the the basic beats of of hero superhero dumb, it's mm-hmm. just it's plugging in those um, slots that's the word I'm looking for, yeah, and I'm drinking soda. Oh. <laughs>
1: We're gonna use quotations on that soda. Thing. Yeah. Well, and the personalities of these characters—did you base them on anybody in your real life, or?
2: Um, not entirely. They're the these characters. The the superhero characters are very much sort of idealized superhero characters. They have personality traits. So, for example, my speedster, quick, fast, the fleet fox. Like her whole deal is, she's just. She's so confident because she's, she's, you know, the premise of her book is she doesn't think she needs to be a part of any team. Cause she's so fast. She could be in three places at once. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of like, okay, confidence. Let's, let's approach it with that. So it's not really based on any specific person, but it's based on the personality trait of overconfidence. And by the end of the book, she learns that you can't do everything by yourself. And we learned something at the end of it um, with my, my, hero sidekick thing. Uh, I made them siblings. So it's it's sort of a dynamic of of siblings where it's an older brother, younger sister, and they're kind of ribbing each other. I mean, that's based on siblings, right? It's not necessarily based on my relationship with my brothers, but it's based on just that dynamic. Uh, the stuff in Pix is probably a little more based on people I know or parts of myself. Mm-hmm. So Pix has some friends and their their personalities are like two sides of my own one is more sort of outgoing and bodacious, and the other one is more sort of thoughtful and considerate, and I sort of split that and made two separate characters out of it. And those are those are her best friends, and they give her feedback and advice and that sort of thing. Uh, I I am I'm more and more flirting with taking real real life experience and more directly creating a story out of it. Um, there are some books in the wings. Where I have outlines and I have notes and stuff that are more slice of life, not quite autobio, but I, I've heard the the term Roman a clef, where it's like a version of your story. Yeah. So I have a few yeah. of those that are cooking. Um, but those those, again, much like stand-up, you lose some veneer, right? You lose some of yeah. that that armor that you use to disguise your story. So the second you start telling a story about, it, a 12 year old boy going to middle school, then it's like, well, you were once a 12 year old boy, but I was never a super fast fox. So there's, there's that kind of a thing. Um, so I think everything, all the stuff I write is, is certainly based on experiences I've had, but the, I can't point to say Wonder Bear is based on this uncle. Like that's not, I don't do that direct a translation
1: very cool okay val i'm gonna give you the final question Ooh, i can screw question. it up
0: okay okay out of all the superheroes you've made which one is your personal favorite mm. and why
2: okay that's a good that's that's
0: good luck picking your favorite child <laughs>
2: yeah i mean it's it, what so my 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 brain immediately bounced around and it went to the beginning. So, like very early on, a lot of the superheroes I created were based on toys I played with. So I played with a lot of GI Joe toys, and I would instead of playing with them as the GI Joes they were, I'd turn them into superheroes. Um, and my sketchbooks from elementary school through high school are just filled with these drawings. Um, and one of them was a character named Rescue, who was a speedster. You'd think I was obsessed with speedsters. it just happens to be what I keep bringing up. But um, I think that's a character that sort of embodies in so many ways, the youthful sort of exuberance of superheroes. Like he was just, he was a speedster. His name was rescue because he was based on a GI Joe character named Lifeline and Lifeline had the word rescue on his leg and he was a paramedic. So rescues colors were red and white. And he had like a red cross symbol on, and it's just, yeah, I'm going to say for the purposes of this conversation, he's my favorite It's a character. I'll probably never use anywhere. Um, but that was like maybe the fourth or fifth character created after like the first one was a guy named bubble man and they sort of go from there but rescue was was yeah i'm gonna go with rescue
1: (laughs) i think you're gonna have to post rescue on your site though because when people when you're out to the shameless self-promotion are gonna go looking for rescue and they're gonna be like where's rescue
2: (laughs) i can i can direct people so i have a you i have a youtube channel And I did a series of videos called Stuff Sketched. And one of those videos is me redesigning Rescue uh, as a a new design for the character. So you get to see what he originally looked like. You will see the original Lifeline action figure from G.I. Joe. I tell the whole story in in like 13 minutes or whatever it is. Um, So Rescue is out there. Very cool.
1: Okay, shameless self-promotion time, Greg. How do people find you? Uh,
2: So... The easiest way to find me is my name, which is a bit of an oxymoron because my name is spelled strangely, but it is Greg, G-R-E-G-G, and my last name is Shegel, S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. So if you go to gregshegel.com, that's my website. I'm gregshegel on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the Superhero books are on uh, Amazon, and if you type in a superhero or you type in Greg Shegel, that's what's going to come up. Uh, the picks books you can get on my website and there's the YouTube channel, which is also my name. I've kept the branding pretty simple. It's just very my name. cool. Right, and so and very they're cool. only, I think there's only six eagles in the world. So you'll find me
1: if you spell <laughs> as
2: long as you spell it right. You'll find me
1: very, very cool. I still have my cough from COVID. It's so delightful. It has been amazing having you on this show. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for, for, again, swinging by Artist Alley at ALA and handing me your card and being receptive to having me on. This has been a joy.
1: Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking With Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance, my co-host who has survived this and maybe won't go into a forever it forever time out again. I didn't mean to show. Like
0: Erica wants.
1: She'll completely mess it up at the end has been Valerie Willis and our amazing guest, Greg. Thank you again. And we will see you guys next
0: time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the T public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com.